Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the number one college football show, I am going to answer your questions in our week one mailbag episode. This is the first of a serial that we will be doing throughout the season. And to help facilitate this i want to bring in our lead producer on the number one college football show one tyler wojak tyler for the folks please tell them where you went to school who you root for and what the hell is wrong with your team Ooh, all right so i'm tyler i graduated from notre dame in 2018 they've been my team since i was a little kid what's wrong with them um well right now we're undefeated so Nothing's wrong with us, but let's talk on Sunday and I might have a laundry list of things. But for now, all is well. Uh, everything's good with Notre Dame and pretty much every other program in the country, sans Nebraska. Sorry. No, I appreciate that in that all of us can point to something that is wrong with our team. And we'll also be able to, you know, defend our team when necessary. But we're always kind of interested in what could go wrong, which is one of the reasons I really like this episode that we're doing where I'm going to get many questions, I think, about what's going on with someone's team, what's wrong with their team, and what can go right with their team. So I put out on the Twitters for you to send us at the number one show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or at RJ underscore Young on Twitter, what it is you wanted me to answer, what questions you had going into the season. And Tyler has done the yeoman's work of going to cull through those responses and bringing the best questions right here to the show that I'm going to answer. So I'm going to throw this back to Tyler and give us the first one. Okay, this first one is from a longtime listener, first-time ta- first caller, RJ Young. Uh, would you be upset if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State never play football against each other again after 2024? See, this is where being a good host has come back to bite me because being a good host means you ask good questions. You never think that you're going to have to answer that question yourself or that people would be so interested as to hear your answer to the question. But the short answer is yes, I would absolutely be upset if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State never play each other again in football. And it is looking increasingly likely. On the Oklahoma State side, we heard Mike Gundy say, look, we're full up on our non-conference schedule basically through like 2036. And we're not really interested in making room on our non-conference schedule to accommodate a rival that decided to, as he put it, take the money and run to the Southeastern Conference. That would be the SEC to those who are initiated. But it also means a guaranteed victory for my Oklahoma Sooners. And that's not me throwing shade. That's just looking at the records here, dog. Like Oklahoma State has only been competitive 
since Mike Gundy basically became the head coach, there's a few years in there where Les Miles had it going in the right direction, goes into the Valero Alamo Bowl at halftime, tells his team, I'm not leaving, and then proceeds to leave at halftime. It's the wildest story that I've ever heard. Shout out to my buddy Corey Hilliard, my first producer in Sports Talk Radio ever, who told me that story as he was a tackle on that team. But for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to not play each other is going to really leave a void in my life. I figured, not unlike Texas A&M in Texas, where, you know, out in public, you don't need nobody. You don't want nobody. That's your enemy. Let them go do what they do. At home, look, man, I know a lot of people, myself included, that look forward to that game on Thanksgiving weekend. There was a lot of reason as to why you get one side of the family together with the other, went to A&M, went to uh, uh, UT, and decide to, you know, break bread and watch each other get beat down or be able to have bragging rights for that year. That's what it is in the state of Oklahoma where the Sooners are the pro team, mostly because dating back to 1955, we're talking about the most dominant college football team in the state and one of the best college football teams programs of all time. Nobody's won more football games in the last 20 years than Oklahoma. And Oklahoma State has gotten to be very good, right? They've got to this place where they compete for the Big 12 championship. They compete and win the Fiesta Bowl against Tyler's Notre Dame. And Mike Gunny's going into what I think is going to be the final stretches of his career. We'll see, right? Because I thought the final stretches of Nick Saban's career would have been 10 years ago. That dude just signed an extension through 2030 where he's going to coach the team apparently until he no longer feels like he's capable of coaching the team and he feels as young as he's ever felt. I think Mike Gundy's headed that direction as well. I personally like the game. I think there's a lot on the line. I think it's become closer in recent memory. And the way that it is finished each and every time has been outstanding. I will miss it if it is no longer around. How does that do, Tyler? No, I agree with you completely. I mean, I have no allegiance to either team, but just as a college football fan, uh, this is sort of the unfortunate part of conference realignment is we do lose a lot of regional rivalries. And losing this one would be pretty tough. It's, like you said, Thanksgiving weekend every year. Usually a really high-scoring game, and, and I would miss it as a fan. But I want to move on to the next question, but we're staying on Oklahoma here. This comes from Chuck Perez. Why is everyone still hating on Oklahoma? Will their minds change after seeing them in week one? I didn't know that people were hating on Oklahoma to begin with. I, honestly, I think that it's been nothing but a honeymoon period for Brent Venables in Oklahoma since he took the job. People have been on board with this both inside the program in the state and outside the program because Brent Venables, not unlike Kirby Smart, was that defensive coordinator hire that everybody wanted to make a head coach. Smart was obviously waiting on the Georgia job to open up for him to go get that one. And Venables was obviously waiting on the Oklahoma job to open up for him to go and get that one. I don't know that it's hating on, man. I think it's that Oklahoma had won the last six Big 12 championships in a row and they just fell short in an 11-win season. You also saw Lincoln Riley take Himself, starting quarterback, one of the better wide receivers, and half the staff to USC. And you saw Brent Venables fill that gap pretty quickly. And what I think is a crack staff that's going to have an opportunity to go win a Big 12 championship this year. For Oklahoma, though, it is about can you win national championships? As a matter of fact, by the time this comes out, we will be talking about who won the, I think it's the college uh, football on Fox best fan base in America. I know this because I've been voting in this each and every time, and Oklahoma is in the national championship with Texas Tech. May the odds ever be in your favor. But to that end, I mean, I don't know that anybody's hating on Oklahoma. It's just we want to see Oklahoma compete for a national championship. 
That hasn't happened since 2008, and I'm the first person to point that out. I'd like to see not Oklahoma get to the college football playoff because been there, done that. I'd like to see them win a national semifinal. So if that's what you're calling hate, I'll take that because I like winning 11, 12 games a year. I'm not so certain that that's going to happen with a move to the SEC. So the hate, I just don't hear it. I just don't see it. But I also understand perhaps the annoyance with a team that has been on the verge of being the best in America and can't quite get over that hump. Tyler, what do you think? Is there a fan base in college football that more desperately needs to just see their team take the field and play an actual game than Oklahoma? Because <laughs> their bowl game seems like an eternity ago. And I think what, what our boy Chuck here is referring to is the conversation. I feel like Oklahoma and the conversation around the program has been disrespected a little bit ever since Lincoln Riley took the job at USC. People sort of dismissed Oklahoma, and then he started poaching the whole staff as well. Obviously got Caleb Williams brought him to LA and in the time since I feel like people have kind of forgotten how proud of a program Oklahoma is and they just need to play like they're really good and I think people are sort of just they see Lincoln move they see who he took along with him and then they just sort of dismiss Oklahoma for this upcoming season so from a national media perspective I don't know if people are actively um, talking negatively about this Oklahoma team but I think it's more so a culmination of the past nine months if that makes sense. It's almost as if people only care about their teams and only casually know about the other 129 FBS programs. Yeah, I think that's a disease that all of us college football fans, or most all of us have, if that's what we could call it. All right, we're going to move on to another question presented by you. Uh, which college football team is going to be an absolute problem this season? I think I've been beating the Minnesota drum, right? Like, I, I've been loud about that one. Uh, I'm not so certain about it now because I thought Nebraska was going to be pretty good. I still think Texas is going to be pretty good. We'll see how those end up by December. But I think Minnesota really does have an opportunity to be outstanding this year. They got Tanner Morgan back for what seems like a 15th year, but he's been around the program for a very long time. He's getting to where he looks closer to looking exactly like P.J. Fleck, and that's not necessarily a bad thing when you got – that sort of relationship, they're very tight together. You got Mo Ibrahim coming back off of his injury last year. He had 30 carries for 163 yards against Ohio State in a game that I think they could have won if he didn't get injured in it. And you got Kurt Soraka returning to that program. The last time that he was the offensive coordinator with those guys, they won 11 games. And they had an outstanding season in 2019. The schedule doesn't have Ohio State or Michigan on it for them. They only have one ranked opponent outside of their division in Michigan State. I think that they could sniff 10 wins, 11 wins, and maybe even get into the Big Ten championship game later this year. But again, that's me looking at what they have accomplished, what they do return, and what the schedule looks like. What about you, Tyler? Well, I like your point about Minnesota. It'd be great to see a team out of the Big Ten West really do some, do some damage and push Ohio State in a Big Ten championship if they were able to get it that far. Um, a sleeper team for me. I don't know if it's necessarily a sleeper. They're a pretty popular pick to make the playoff now, but I'm really just rooting for Utah. Um, I love mm. Kyle Whittingham and his program, and I just want to see someone from the Pac-12. Like, talk about someone who's been disrespected as of late, pretty much the entire Pac-12 ever since USC and UCLA announced that they're going to move to the Big Ten. The Pac-12 is kind of looking at each other like, what are we going to do? And I mean, I, you mentioned this in the Pac-12 preview. Like when is the Pac-12 going to prove itself as a Power Five and more than just its name? If Utah were to make the playoff, which I think they can, that would certainly go a long way in doing that. 
I think that's also an outstanding pick. I've also been on that Utah hype train, but again, they got similar characteristics to Minnesota. You return your starting quarterback. You return your outstanding tailback in Tavion Thomas. You got a bunch of that defense coming back that more or less was running with Ohio State as high scoring as that game was. And also doubled up Oregon twice in 13 days. Same Oregon that went and got a win against Ohio State in the shoe and started out the season last year 9-1. and one. I want to see Utah absolutely demolish the Pac-12 if that's what it takes because I think that is what it's going to take to get them into the playoff. We're talking about a program, a program, a conference that has not had an entry into the college football playoff since 2016 when Jake Browning was the quarterback for the Washington Huskies and Chris Peterson, who's working the desk now, was the head coach at Washington. I would really like for the Pac-12 to be able to stick it to a lot of people this year as they're being poached. Obviously, USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten and show us all, no, we are one of the Power Five conferences in this sport. How much stock do you put into bowl game results and how much that carries over the next season? Because sometimes I think it's overrated, but Utah's got a bad taste in their mouth after that Rose Bowl and watching that slip through their fingers. I really think that's going to sort of carry over into this season and their preparation. I think they're going to come out with a statement or at least prepared to make a statement this season with their play. Am I reading too much into that? What do you think? I think in the case of Utah, you're not reading too much into it, but I also would point this out. They're the winningest program in the Pac-12 since 2015. They're like 59-7. and Like, it's obscene. They also ran the table undefeated in 08, beat Alabama, and didn't get any recognition as a national champ. They also had the same head coach since 2004. Previous head coach, Urban Meyer, also on a desk. They have been good for a long time. They're just not very good about yelling that they've been good for a long time. To the point about whether or not bowl results matter, I think it depends on the bowl, right? If we're talking about a New Year's Six Bowl, the Rose Bowl, yes, I think it matters. If we're talking about a lesser bowl, I don't want to actually say a lesser bowl, but a lesser bowl that's not a New Year's Six Bowl, I think, yeah, it doesn't matter so much. And also it's about the opponent, right? They know that they played against an Ohio State team that had they not lost to Michigan, plays in the college football playoff and probably gives those teams a run for their money. If that is what you could take away from a game in which basically Kyle Willingham has a decision to make about winning the game or trying to go win the game, then you're right there on the edge. And I think you can ride that all the way into, no, we're, we know we're this good. We know that all we got to do is get back to week 12, week 13 to get to game 15 and play for a national championship. So I think for them... It's just, hey, we're that good and we get to know that we're that good going into 2022. I think it's a good I think it's a good outcome for Utah in a way that say maybe, maybe we are overstating the importance of Oklahoma State beating up on Notre Dame. If that's (laughs) where you're going with this. It wasn't where I was going with it, but I appreciate it. All right. Big year for the Utes. All right. That was a question from me. Let's go back to the questions from the fans. Uh, This comes from DJ Kennedy. Who has a better chance of winning the Heisman, Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler? Oh, man. I mean, look, you got to say Caleb Williams because Spencer Rattler's now playing the SEC East. He's also not playing with as talented a team as he had at Oklahoma or the one that Caleb Williams has at USC. He's playing a schedule that has Georgia on it. USC's not playing a schedule that has Georgia on it. And Lincoln Riley is not beating Georgia as a head coach. Neither is Shane Beamer, but I'll give you this, man. The the team that I think has the most to gain out of all of this, 
and a quarterback is Spencer Rattler and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Rattler was a dude that has the unenviable, or I should say, yes, the unenviable position of being the first quarterback that Lincoln Riley actually gave the hook with that stuck. This is a man who had basically towed the line of, no, my guy is the guy. 2015 Baker Mayfield is an example of this. He had an opportunity to pull him against Tennessee when they were getting beat like they stole something, and he stayed with him, and that paid off. They make the college football playoff. Rattler gets the hook. Williams comes in against Texas. Rattler comes back in to win them the game, but it doesn't end the way that we think it should. He gets booed at home by Oklahoma Sooner fans, one of the low points of my fandom, honestly, as they're in the tight game against West Virginia. I think he has a lot to reclaim here as a former five-star in 2019 class. I think that he's going to have some tools on his side to go and prove to the NFL that he's a first-round draft pick. And I think he's got a head coach who is very high in the character department and really wants to root for his guys and went about trying to get a head coaching job in a very unorthodox way. Refused to be an offensive coordinator or really even a defensive coordinator. He wanted to learn all the other aspects of the game, believing that he could find an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator to help him. I think that Rattler's going to be in a place where he can reclaim his status as one of the best quarterbacks in college football, whereas Caleb Williams is going to be expected to be a Heisman finalist. He's already got really great Heisman odds. And as much as we're talking nice about Utah, there's quite a few people that believe that USC is going to run over the Pac-12, win the Pac-12 championship, and make it to the college football playoff. I would like to see it. But as the Trojans have pasta on the schedule this week in the form of rice, we're probably going to get to see him put up a bunch of numbers and we won't know much about USC, like South Carolina, until they start playing conference schedule. Yeah, going back to DJ's question, I don't think there's any doubt that Caleb Williams is more likely to win the Heisman. But that's not to say that Spencer Rather couldn't have a super great year and be really impactful for the Gamecocks. I mean, let's not forget that South Carolina trotted out a GA last year to start at quarterback. So they've come a long hey, way hey, in hey. quite a year. Zeb Nolan went for 400 against Oklahoma, dog. Like, he didn't have I equipment. He didn't have equipment that fit him because he wasn't a player. He was a GA. He's running out there with like an XL helmet. He probably wore a large. So they went from a GA to Spencer Radler. I, I don't think Spencer Radler is going to win the Heisman, but I think he will have a huge impact uh, for the Gamecocks this year. And hey, they might be, uh, they might win eight games. I think Fox Bet has their over under at, at seven. So I like the Gamecocks this year. All right, let's move on. I thought it was six and a half because I think I took the over. Okay, yeah. I think I okay. would take the over yeah, there too, I was like, though. Oh, I think they could get seven. Yeah, no, we're, yeah. we're both in agreement there. Yeah, I think they're a sleeper team this year in the SEC. All right, let's move on to our next one. Uh, this is from Lil Rock Dog. Were you more surprised by the Vanderbilt thrashing of Hawaii or by Nebraska coming up short yet again? Man, as much as I don't want to continue to talk about this and pour salt in an open wound, I was really surprised in Nebraska let that game get away from them. That's no shade to Vanderbilt, who absolutely has a dude out there in Mike Wright. You don't want that man to be out there running in front of you because you're not going to be able to chase him down. Excited to see what Clark Lee's Vanderbilt Commodores are capable of this year. However, you go out to a 14-0 lead. The offense is going gangbusters. You're up 11, and then Scott Frost makes what I think is a decent decision to try to go for the jugular, right? He decided... Try an onside kick. It didn't go their way. And many people point to that as the pivotal point in the game. I think there's a bunch of pivotal points in the game, right? 
Maybe it's uh, an interception that slips through a receiver's hands. Maybe it's you just don't get stops on third down. Maybe it's that you gave up 200 yards rushing. It's only so much of this that I'm willing to put on Scott Frost's shoulders, though he is the head coach, so that's ultimately where it goes. I think as much as I've been talking nice about Nebraska and continue to talk nice about Nebraska, I have to say that them blowing a two a double-digit lead against Northwestern, a team that also went 3-9 and nine last year, was more shocking to me than Vanderbilt beating up on a Hawaii team that I did not expect to be all that good to begin with. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And to be positive about Nebraska, I think they're dealing with something when they're the only team on TV. I feel like your mistakes are compounded. It feels even worse because everyone was eager to watch college football. They were the only game on. And yeah, it, it didn't end well. And I know that everyone's coming at Scott Frost right now, but they they looked pretty talented and there's some reasons to be optimistic about them. And then, hey, they host Oklahoma here in a couple of weeks. If they were to win that game, I think the conversation about Frost and really the entire program could change on one win. So all is not lost for the Huskers. Tyler, you're trying to get my house burned down. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't tease. Don't, don't, don't tease. No, 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 no. Look, I might look, have been fishing a little bit there. As much as it would be cool for Nebraska to beat Oklahoma, I live here. I know. Let's, let's tamp it down. That's all hey. I'm saying. T- t- tamp it down just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. People were upset about a one-score game with Nebraska at home last year. Yeah. Now that the rivalry's back, you you can't really blow this one if you're Oklahoma. But, hey, that was for our Cornhusker fans out there. All right, let's go to the last. Well, <laughs> on the topic of the Cornhuskers, our last one comes from a Cornhusker fan, G. Doe. Uh, what in God's green earth is it going to take for Nebraska to just have a winning record? This Nebraska fan seems pretty down bad after that week zero game. So, I don't know. What do you think? I think. I looked at the schedule, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use what we got in front of us. You got 11 games left to play. You could win them all. It's still a possibility. Like, Notre, like Tyler said, Notre Dame is undefeated, right? We'll talk about it on Sunday, whether or not they're still undefeated. <laughs> but I looked at the schedule, and basically what you have to do is you have to beat everybody you're supposed to. That means a Rutgers in Illinois that are on your schedule, Indiana. And then you got to get lucky against what I think is going to be a great Minnesota team, a ranked Iowa, right? And I think you got a ranked Michigan and a ranked Wisconsin in there. So you gotta you gotta snatch one. And if you snatch one, you're looking at seven wins at a minimum, right? If you beat everybody you're supposed to beat. Now that said, uh, that's a big ask, right? I I don't know that I would pick Nebraska at this point to have a winning record, but right now, just go to a bowl game. And they've been close before. I think they'll be close again. I know that they're further away, or it seems they fur- they're further away than they have been in years past. But goodness me, man, uh, there's 11 games left to play. We're still playing football. We're going to be playing football for the next four months. Calm down, Nebraska fans. Seriously, it's going to be okay, I promise. Yeah, I mean, what's it going to take? You better get to uh, at least six wins before November because this stretch here to close the year is brutal. They've got Minnesota, November 5th, Michigan the following week, Wisconsin after that, and they close out the regular season with uh, at Iowa. So if you're trying to get a winning record, yeah, you gotta you gotta figure it out and you gotta do it pretty quickly. And yeah, by the way, Oklahoma is coming in a few weeks too. No pressure. Like I said, beat everybody you're supposed to, and then get lucky in that week of that month of November. That is, I guess you can relabel Championship November for Nebraska, man, because it's just that dense all right that has been our first week 
of Mailbag Questions Mailbag episode. My thanks to Tyler Wojak, who, as you can see, does an outstanding job of keeping your man on task and Thank also you. an outstanding job of coordinating this show, putting together this show. One of the reasons that we are able to give you more episodes of the number one college football show than we have ever been able to give you before. I'm very excited about that. For those of you that watched or tuned in to listen to me and Jeff Schwartz on CFB on Fox's Spaces, I appreciate that. We'll have more of that to come. As always, my thanks to Tyler Wojak, our lead producer. Our senior producer and coordinated producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn, and I'm the host, RJ Young. We will see y'all on Saturday night. Deuces.